Creating Cyberspace, and welcome to episode 163 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Barney Angelo. And I am lying because it is actually episode 164. So last episode we dropped was uh, supposed to be 163. We named 164 because of the fact that Angelo cannot read, and that is fine. So what happens when we record a Double Density Podcast is that I... Uh, uh, create an episode file, usually a Google Doc, and then Angela will add in. But he did not notice the fact that I created one and started his own. And because we uh, were too busy recording, we didn't fact check. So technically, there are two 164s out in the wild. Um, but with that in mind, uh, we're going to uh, move on to the fact that we are not alone this episode. So we are thrilled uh, to be joined by someone who I was just mentioning how like uh, he is my spirit animal when it comes to UFO Twitter and all things strange and uh, using your brain and you know being rational about things. And uh, you know they said that Avengers Endgame was probably the greatest crossover of all time, but I I, I defy critics to to sort of like look against that as we are joined today by Dr. Chris Cogswell. And before I forget, Chris, uh, Dr. Doc, Chris, Christopher, Cogs, Cogswell, Dr. Doc, like, what do you like prefer hearing when people, uh, uh, you know, uh, say your name? Oh, I like when people call me cookie. Okay. <laughs> I have no preference. I do not care. Cogs is fine. Chris is fine. Whatever, whatever you feel comfortable with. Nice. Cause I feel like you could twist the doc into like a really cool kind of like persona online when you go after people. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the problem with the doc thing is like, every time I say it, I can hear my wife sigh <laughs> from wherever she is. Like it doesn't, she's not in the house right now. She's at work, but I, I know she's someplace like, oh, Jesus Christ. He asked someone to call him doctor. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so no, Chris is fine. To those who are not aware, uh, Chris is the founder and host of the Mad Scientist podcast and is earned a PhD, as we just mentioned, uh, by calling him doc in chemical engineering with a focus on nanomaterials for absorption and separations. With his background in science, Chris often views the paranormal from a scientific point of view, which some would consider highly skeptical, though not us. Uh, on his podcast, Chris and his co-host Mary Mayhew approach topics like UFOs, conspiracy theories, and the paranormal and well-researched yet humorous story. Chris is also the chair of the science advisory board of Skyhub, which we'll also get into in a bit, which aims to develop an open source observational science platform to track UAPs or uh, UFOs. Chris, first question, UAP, UFO, what is your go-to for that? Oh, God, I, man, that's a <laughs> hard We're starting question off with the heavy to start with. Here. What are you trying to do? You're trying to ruin me <laughs> exactly, in this yeah. field right now. That's a hard one right out the bat. I have, again, like, <laughs> literally no preference. <laughs> like, you know, I guess calling, calling them unidentified aerial phenomena opens like the whole point of doing that is to like the, the whole reasoning that was given initially to do that was so that it would get rid of the stigma about UFOs. But all it's done now is there's two annoying things to call, <laughs> you know, aliens and ships for people at like contact in the desert or whatever. You know what I mean? So it, it hasn't like, it hasn't <laughs> calling them UAP hasn't made the people involved any less credulous, you yeah, know? Exactly. So it's, it doesn't matter what you call them. If you know, you call the guy on the on the street corner um, ranting and raving a preacher or a you know a nut. He's still he's still throwing poop at your car. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it doesn't matter. I love how you're setting the tone for this episode. So, uh, uh, given that, like, what is like, how did you come to this space of being a man of science yet super interested in the paranormal? Like, did you grow up with this? Is this something that like later in life you kind of approached? I mean, I'm kind of curious about like your path because that is something that Angela and I are often fascinated by because it seems like a lot of people have approached this at different junctures in their life and, and it helps inform their worldview on how they they see the phenomenon. Sure. Yeah. So I got initially interested in this I mean, I've been interested in this kind of stuff since I was a kid, my, um, my mom. So when I grew up, my mom and my dad split up. And so I was kind of half the time in my mom's house, half the time in my dad's house and my mom's house, uh, my mom's family and my mom herself are from Italy. 
So, um, and from a little part of Italy called Bari, which is like this, it's part of Puglia. So it's this like, if you think about like the boot of the UFO or the boot of the UFO, <laughs> <laughs> the boot of Italy. Um, my mom's an alien. That's why that's what it is all about. Right, perfect. From uh, the this boot, is a National Enquirer style like revolution yeah, right here. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is me coming out finally as an alien. Um, <laughs> if you think about like the boot of Italy, it's like where the heel is. It's like a little bit above, it's above the heel basically. It's on kind of the angle of Italy, I guess, maybe like the lowest part of the calf. But anyways, my, um, so growing up, my family, like my mom, my mom's side of the family, especially is full of really smart people who are, but, but very steeped in kind of tradition and like traditional thinking about like religion and mysticism and those sorts of things. And so, you know, my grandma was probably like one of the biggest influences on me about this because my grandma simultaneously like my grandma spoke like five different languages in her, in her lifetime. She was extremely intelligent. She, you know, was just a huge inspiration for me. But at the same time, like I had this, you know, very powerful force in my life with my grandma kind of pushing me towards the sciences and becoming a doctor or a, you know, a, a teacher or whatever. My grandma also believed in like all kind, you know, Dr. Oz kind of medical quackery, you know, and like Dr. Phil and, um, my grandma believed in like the national inquirer kind of stuff, you know, and conspiracy theories and everything. So it was always kind of fascinating to me to wonder what it is that like, how can people have both very, very rational views, but also irrational views or views that looked irrational to me. So that was kind of part of it was kind of this being a kid and being interested in this from my family's perspective. But then the other part of it was, when I was a kid, my my dad, like throughout my childhood, my dad, my, my basically my entire life, my dad was varying levels of of ill. And um, when I was like in the fifth grade, he got especially ill, and um, it looked like he might not make it. And, and and you know things got kind of dark for a little bit there. And he turned to like quackery, <laughs> you know. He like bought. There was a guy. I'm sure he's still doing this. There was a guy in New York on Staten Island where I grew up who was selling water in these um, like Virgin Mary water bottles. My grandma had one of those on top yeah, of the TV. Yeah, from Lourdes, France. Maybe. Yeah, right? probably from Lourdes. Yeah. Yeah. So supposedly they're the tears of a Virgin Mary statue um, <laughs> from Lourdes, France. And so they're miracle water or whatever. And I'm sure this is just some, you know, some jabroni filling up Virgin Mary water bottles at a gas station. You know what I mean? Well, didn't Peter Popoff take that like, like national? Cause I remember his, a lot of his infomercials before he got banned from like most stations where that, like you could buy a case of like, like spring holy water to just drink and consume. I, so I, yeah, like I don't, I know I've honestly, I've never really looked into it since then because it just, it, like, I don't know how this guy, like there must've been some kind of like, national purchasing thing going on, right? Where that guy, yeah, there was someone clearly bringing them over or whatever. And then this guy would buy them and then he'd resell them. And it just created this, like it creates this kind of retail market of paranormal or pseudoscientific stuff. And people are being taken advantage of, you know? And so as a kid kind of growing up in a household where people were being, being taken advantage of for this, you know, it really upset me and it made me want to, again, not only sort of learn, I guess, about why it is that people believe these things, but also understand like the ethics behind it mm -hmm. and how to convince people otherwise. Cause it's really, 
that is the hardest part always. You know, it's easy to kind of come up with reasons for thinking, like, why do people believe these things? The harder thing is trying to find ways or try to find and give people reasons to change their mind. It's tough, too, right? Because they're they're is an increasingly like anti-science bias in general. Like, and I feel like over the last year has like really, really accelerated um, a lot of that. And I know that Angelo and I have spent a lot of time in, in our younger years being keyboard warriors about that kind of thing too. It's just, um, we're very quick to call people grifters here um, in the paranormal circle of things because we mm. do believe that a lot of people have a financial stake in whatever endeavors it is, you know, all the way from like uh, selling cute versions of cryptids all the way to, you know, an app that lets you communicate with space aliens for like 13 bucks or whatever. Right. right. So yeah. I, I very much appreciate your desire to like uh, ultimately fundamentally like help people as long as they, they take a chance and listen to you. It's hard. It's hard though, too, because you know, on the one hand you have to think that like, if you think about the morals of this for, for a second here, I think it's pretty obvious that someone who's, you know, doesn't have the money for cancer treatment or whatever, but then pays this guy money for these, bottles of miracle water that guy selling the miracle water it's probably probably a scumbag right like that guy's probably not a good person it could be either or right either they truly truly believe in his properties which is probably not the case or yeah they're just another well, well that's what i was scumbag, gonna say right? right or or the guy really believes it and he's getting grifted too you know and so it's a very like it's i think very unsatisfying for skeptics or for people who are seeing their friends or families be victimized by this stuff. It's very unsatisfying to think that like, there's no one to blame. <laughs> there is no head grifter sometimes, yeah. you know, it's just that all these people actually do believe you're not going to be able to convince them otherwise. Well, the thing is too, like, should you, do you, do you have to No, right? like, that's it? I've learned yeah. that already at this point where arguing with somebody who denies uh, climate science or thinks that UFOs are aliens for sure, sorry, UAPs, um, or, you know, or somebody that thinks like an election was rigged, like no matter what, like there in that case, there was a head grifter who was a president. But like in other cases, though, you, you're right. There, who's the head of this like grifting organization that's causing people to think a certain way? There really isn't one person. Right. And so it becomes really challenging. And I mean, I think part of it too, you know, if, like I've been thinking about this a lot recently because, you know, the, the UFO, UAP, whatever topic has become very, um, it's, it's hit like a fever pitch now, you know, there's this big, like, it's almost like when a cult, the leader says, you know, the world's going to end in, in like a month, <laughs> you know, that's, that's like the feeling of it almost because, all these people have come out and said this big UFO report's coming and people are hyping it up so much. And there really are people who like their entire identity is being a UFO experiencer or being a witness or being an abductee or whatever. And so they're creating this situation now where these people, it doesn't like at this point, it doesn't matter what the report says. There's a large portion of people who are going to be disappointed by it. And so you're creating a situation now where we start to, it starts to become a little bit harder to say that this belief in UFOs isn't dangerous. Yeah. You know, you're creating these situations. And so that's kind of the, I think that's kind of the interesting ethical problem here that we're coming to. Like, you know, it's, I kind of think of it almost like, it's almost like letting, it's the difference between burning down a house and putting dry kindling next to a house over years, <laughs> you know, 
if you're creating the condition, you're not directly inciting it. You're not directly lighting the match and then throwing it onto the gasoline, you know, uh, to make the flames happen. So, but your ethical responsibility then is a little bit, it's a little bit shadier because you're just kind of adding to this pile that's growing and growing and growing. And so you're not like putting a, putting a, a stick of dry wood next to a bunch of other sticks of dry wood. That's not unethical. Right. But it's, but it is negligent. Yeah. And so I guess that's the challenge of the part now that's kind of become interesting to me, I guess more so is we're not going it, to, it's funny. I say this like with January 6th, you had Rudy Giuliani and all those people up on stage saying like, you know, we're going to have trial by combat. Right. And it's like, well, that's clear incitement. You're throwing a match onto the flames. Versus, you know, well, maybe this was rigged and maybe we should all get together and maybe we should, right? So it's a difference there. It's funny you, you say that because I recently, like, I take long walks in my neighborhood and I saw an old InfoWars sticker up. And it got me thinking, like, when Alex Jones, when I first became aware of him in the, like, the mid-2000s, that was entertainment. And now, yeah. through a, a number of variety of factors, including, like, the erosion of the trust in media and things, it, it's somehow the switch was flipped from entertainment to, like, a source of fact and news. And it's this weird tribalism, like you are speaking about, that, like... <sighs> people now base their whole identity on because it, it, it seems like it's just been weaponized across the board. Well, and it also goes from being at some point, the negligence starts to become like so at, at some point, the beliefs start to affect other people. Right. You know, it, it's funny. There was a lot of philosophy done on like anti-Semitism after world war two by the existentialists. And so there's a book by John Paul Sartre where he talks about like anti-Semitism and the roots of anti-Semitism and like what it means for a society. And there had been kind of anti-Semitic, and again, these are they're completely different, right? But it, but another kind of again, like a type of conspiracy theory or type of belief system that I think everyone would consider to be dangerous and bad and and one that should not be allowed to kind of fester in society. But I, I mean, like, I, I don't think it's like largely that different because the fact, like, you take a book like the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is clearly a fabricated text from a hundred years ago, yeah. and the fact that it's still being brought up today in like conspiracy theory circles. Well, exactly right. So that's and that's the thing. Like, part of me wants to say that there is a responsibility for of society to. Part of me wants to say that when my dad was buying that water and hurting our family financially and and giving false hope and whatever, that he was that someone, the person selling the water was morally uh was morally responsible for that act of you know negligence of of harm of whatever on the other hand though you want to say that that person though might just be part of a larger system but the problem then becomes well how do you stop that system or or at what point does society step in you know um and it's and that's kind of the sorts of discussions that happen around anti-semitism right like when is when is rhetoric just rhetoric and when does it start to become a, a potential harm to society? And I think with conspiracy theories, you know, QAnon is a good example of this where it wasn't dangerous. It's not dangerous until it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, the thing so, is I, yeah. I belong to the, the QAnon um, like survivors subreddit, the QAnon casualties subreddit. Yeah. yeah. And there's a ton of stories there where it's family members. Like you were saying before, like it just, it affects people in very tangible and like real ways. Well, that's the thing, right? It's not, it's not just someone like, it's not just someone getting like tired of talking to an uncle because they believe in like UFOs or whatever. It's like, it's someone's marriage being ruined. 
you know, <laughs> yeah. um, it's or like, someone's like, like family members not talking to each other anymore or like, you know, exactly. like, um, unfortunately, like I've seen it and like trigger warning on this one, but like people who've taken their own lives due to the fact that like whatever, you know, Q drops yeah. have come to pass, haven't like come to pass. Well, hundred percent, you know, so it's a very, again, I think it's sort of people that are playing in these areas are kind of playing with fire and I don't think that they realize it. And I don't really think, you know, I just this week or just today, um, you know, a big UFO guy was talking to Rudy Giuliani on his <laughs> on his podcast. And, you know, the knee-jerk reaction from UFO people is to defend him, right? Is to or yeah, just to not comment. But it's, you know, Rudy Giuliani isn't is is almost less is almost more credible than Linda Moulton Howe is to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> or like more credible than some of the people on Ancient Aliens. Um so just so, to be sure you know, that you you uh, uh how do you feel about the Chupacabra? <laughs> chupacabra, I'm very pro chupacabra. Uh, so yeah, it's just it's just a very interesting thing. And so for me, the parts of it that I've always been interested in are those those ethical questions, those kind of social questions, and just overall too, like that ultimate question of like I I I am a very optimistic person, I guess, despite what people who you know <laughs> think I'm a cynic on UFOs, or whatever. Like I'm very optimistic in the in the belief that if you give people kind of a, a number of different sources of information and one of those sources of information is good and kind of rational and, and sensible, most people will go for that good source of information. If give, if given the opportunity, I want to believe that. And unfortunately, like time and time again, though, I'm, I'm proven wrong on like any number of like very simple issues. And I know that it, Angela used to spend a lot of time on forums arguing about that and, and using facts. Like I've seen a lot of your posting back in the day. Right. So it's just, yeah, it's it's tiring wanting to be hopeful, and that's the thing is that like Angela and I are, are often describes ourselves as like very skeptical people, but we want to believe. It's not a question of not wanting to believe in a lot of these things. It's just our barrier of entry, our level of proof is much higher than a layperson would be. Yeah, I, I remember being uh, in the Paracast forums for so long, and then at one point they made me a moderator, and everybody hated having me as a moderator because I was too skeptical. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, I mean. You mean you don't trust those flip phone pictures that someone took at like 3 a.m.? So weird. Okay. <laughs> I mean, seriously, right? The It's funny, actually. The the Paracast was one of the reasons that I started. Yeah, I, I used too. to listen. Yeah. I mean, I used to listen to the Paracast all the time. And then, again, things started kind of going off the rails a little bit <laughs> yeah. there. And it was kind of like, uh, oh, what's happening here? Right. It, it just like the flip happened so quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the, the shift from like, we're just doing a show and it's just fun to like, you know, sell your house, give me your money. <laughs> really? That, that shift <laughs> happened so fast. Yeah. And that's the danger of it, I think. And, and like, again, you know, people thinking about UFOs or believing in UFOs or, or watching these documentaries and stuff, it is mostly entertainment. What the, the, the problem, I guess, or the issue I have is when those same people then try to make it deadly serious. Yeah. You know, the same people who are like, yeah, who cares if I'm talking with uh, this guy who thinks the Roswell uh, autopsy was real? You know, who cares? I'm just making a buck. I got to feed my family with this stuff, whatever. That's all well and good, except you're also like going in front of senators and saying like UFOs <laughs> are real. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's, it's yeah. like, is it serious? Is it not serious? Like you have to kind of pick one. Yeah. And also just a question of intentions too, right? Like, do you realize what you're doing as a perpetrator of this? And we often talk about the intersection of a belief and commerce. Like uh, one of my favorite things to dunk on is Stephen Greer. That's super easy to do because sure. it's so obviously a money-making enterprise. Yeah. Um, people like Tom DeLonge, you know, Louis Elizondo, what's he doing? And, and people like Jeremy Corbell, right? Who are documentary filmmakers, but also um, have this like fervent belief that they're right. And despite the fact that like the, uh, there's like a huge absence of evidence, especially like I remember Angela and I got really mad about the Bob Lazar documentary. And like, I, we almost rage quit a couple of times on that episode. Mm -hmm. The Bob Lazar. Well, yeah. Don't get me started on Bob Lazar. That's well, like, I, I, I know how much you, you feel about him, which is why like I've listened to those episodes multiple times, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's just, it's, you know, the, I think biggest thing about some of this is how, the saddest thing about a lot of this is just how very, how very, very poorly we have educated people in this country. <laughs> you know, well, for sure, um, and that's that's kind of what I was driving at, and I kind of wanted to bring up is a lot of what you're saying would be mitigated by proper media literacy. But even though there are media literacy um, um, courses in high schools in certain places in the states and in Canada and around the world, it doesn't seem to do enough in terms of like questioning what you're seeing, even from official sources, which also creates a, a double-edged sword because people then look at, I don't want to say like more objective, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, fair um, uh, news outlets with mistrust at the same time. They're it's like they take the wrong takeaway from media literacy classes. I'm, I'm not even sure if it's necessarily like media literacy. People need a, like a, a humility course. Like, you know, like, you know <laughs> it's, it's straight up like even people who... Let's look at skepticism, right? Like skepticism as a kind of field is extremely dogmatic. And every couple of years, you have a major scandal in the skeptical world, which is like, you know, a <laughs> tempest in a teapot for the rest of the world. But in skeptical world, it's a very big deal um, where a, a noted famous skeptic, an ancient skeptic <laughs> will come out and be like, I don't believe trans people exist. <laughs> it's just like you don't believe they exist like what do you mean and it's like i just don't think they exist. i think this is all just made up by the media you know or um they'll come out with some other stupid thing that they think you know and it's and it's not because they're not like these are people who have who have kind of worshipped at the at the altar of rationalism their entire careers it's just that they're too too stupid and proud to be like maybe i'm wrong about this you know, it's just it's just like a lack of humility. I think it's also tied in with the twin of like the the idea of like false self-importance when you get on, onto a platform like Twitter, right? So the idea of like your voice being heard plus your inability to um, self-reflect, I think causes a very like toxic situation. And one that I watch you uh, 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 as like a warrior, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm including you in like a different kind of tribe here, but you try to dispel a lot of that. And then you realize at one point, I think with a lot of these people that you end up fighting with that like there's no lost cause. So you kind of go scorched earth. And that's you know, like as someone who like, really enjoys that kind of thing. Like, I very much appreciate that. <laughs> it's it, dude. It's like, it's, Oh God, I want to <laughs> not go scorched earth, but sometimes it is really just like, I think the, the big challenge in all of it is dogmatism. It's dogmatic thinking. It's people who either like with the skeptics, say for example, right? Like I've been dogging on Michael Shermer on Twitter quite a bit recently because <laughs> he's just like just has the worst takes recently on it's stuff. It's so easy. It's so easy. Michael Shermer was like a hero of mine growing up. You know what I mean? So it's like 
it's like if, you know, I don't know, I pantsed Captain America or something. Like, <laughs> I just feel weird about it. But, like, it, it, I think it really is sort of a, um, like, the, the main, the problem that they're making about, say, like, trans issues. And, like, I'm not, I'm not an expert on these at all. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not trans myself. Like I, I really have no place to be talking about this in many ways, but like, you know, the kind of, I think general error in thinking that they're making is they're, they're basically, it's just a naturalist fallacy, right? They think that because something is natural or is biological or is scientific or whatever, that it ought to be that way. Right. Right. So they think, well, there are two scientific genders, so there ought to only be two scientific genders. Completely missing the point that, like, yeah, no one is arguing that, like, penises exist. You know what I mean? Like, Michael Shermer, no one is like, no, penises aren't a thing anymore. Like, no one is arguing that. Your penis is safe. What people are arguing is that the ideas of of, of gender are a social construct. Yeah. Right? That, like... Just because you have a penis, you should like pro wrestling. That's like a dumb idea, you know? And so it's, but again, it's like, they're, they're not, they're not taking in the facts as they, uh, you know, they it, it's funny. Cause like, it's, it's like, it's a very, and it's funny. Cause I've seen a lot of skeptical skeptics do this and that like, it's a very anti-scientific approach in that like they don't ingest new information and like rethink their th- thesis, right? They just, they stand their ground and they look awful for it. Yeah. It's just once, once you have an idea, you stick with it. You know, and, and I mean, that is in some ways, I mean, I, I fall into that trouble at the time, but the fact that you recognize that I think sets you apart though. And that's something that Angela and I've talked about too, is like, yeah, there's your, a lack I, of your self-awareness to, to self, to be self. Yeah, exactly. Your, your ability to be self-aware, um, uh, unfortunately like sets you, uh, higher than like, like 60% of the world at the very least. I mean, well, okay. Dang, first off, thank you for recognizing that I'm above most people. Um, <laughs> Sorry, doctor. <laughs> thank you, doctor. Thank you. Uh, that's what they gave me a PhD for. Um, no, I mean, it's... And that's the thing I think as well that's kind of interesting is, you know, with these sorts of beliefs, right? Like today, like today, actually, this morning, I had a fascinating discussion with a, a professor... Um, or a, a doctor of psychology who believes in psychic phenomena. Okay. And we agree on like 85% of stuff. You know what I mean? And the, and the rest of it, that other 15%, I'm only assume, assuming we don't agree on because we only had a half hour to talk. <laughs> I, I bet we agree on, on 99.9% of things, you know? But if you go on to like say Twitter or whatever and, and see people like, like there was a while where people would just like retweet me papers from like, Dean Radin or like Yuri Geller videos and stuff and be Yuri like, Geller. how can you explain this? And it's like, he's got, he's got multiple spoons that he bends. You know? Well, yeah. Okay. Yuri Geller, <laughs> like, sure. Right. But like, you know, like people, people, uh, like people on Twitter create straw men all the time. Right. So it's like, you know, they just assume that like, because I think that some UFO psychic people were making it up or were tricked because other parapsychologists came out and were like, Hey, this study was shit. They were tricked. They assume that because I'm like against those people or I think that study was bad that I hate all psychic stuff or what psychic stuff can never happen then in Chris's worldview. And it's like, dude, I'm just, I'm just anti-dogmatism generally, right? Like people who are scientifically dogmatic are just as wrong. Like you have a consciousness. Science cannot explain your consciousness right now. You know, we can't even explain like we can't even really explain how a bicycle stands. 
You know what I mean? Like, like we can't explain like the physical properties of water adequately. There's all kinds of stuff our science can't explain. It doesn't necessarily mean there's something paranormal there, but like you have to at least give their, there has to at least be room for those things. You know what I mean? I think it's a fine, it's a delicate balancing act. And the thing is that like a, a lot of people view either one way or the other. And it's just that, that is dogmatic, right? Um, I'm kind of curious though, just quickly um, pivoting in talking about this. How much do you think that the idea of American exceptionalism has like fueled a lot of this like rage and debate too? Cause I feel like it's a very um, um, specific kind of way in which thinking you are right. And that what you uh, do and how you uh, serve yourself and those around you is, is the right way to go. It's a hundred percent spot on. In my opinion, <laughs> this country was founded on the idea that a bunch of old dudes knew better than the Pope <laughs> right? or knew better than the Church of England. Like that is how this country was founded. And not only that, but this country was founded on the idea that like not only were their ideas equally valid to people who had studied theology for decades, their entire lives, but. Once those people had the idea, they should be allowed to spread it to everyone they met. <laughs> right? Like, that's how this country was founded, man. So I 100% I, – I, American exceptionalism, I mean, it, part of it is is definitely that. I think it is a very American phenomena um, in many ways. I honestly think part of it comes down to the democratization of belief. Mm -hmm. We in this country think – we really do think that anybody could become the president. You know, we really think that we think that anybody could be a scientist. Anybody could be a doctor. Anyone could be a, a bodybuilder or whatever, you know, just yeah. giving up my like top three jobs for Chris, right? Like hope <laughs> bodybuilder scientist, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> race car driver. Um, we really believe that people like that people's opinion is equal to other people's belief. And so we have this kind of like ingrained notion about what democracy is today, where we think that like, you know, the vote of a scientist on a matter of science should not count more than the vote of, of a guy who just does a podcast. Right. 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 We, we really do believe that that's not what the founders of this country believed. <laughs> that's why it's a Republic, right? <laughs> We're not a democracy. We are a Republic and it's not what like most philosophers in history that the founders liked believed, you know? So it is, I think, an interesting issue that we have where, yeah, it's a very kind of American um, prideful view to think that your 20 seconds on Wikipedia is equal to somebody's decade of experience. But everyone has the same man. <laughs> <laughs> and one, and, you know, and again, it is a fine line, right? Like, no, of course the other way is sort of fascism of the sciences, you know, and that's also not super great. Like, I don't, I want to know. Technocracy sounds good to me compared to like what we have now. Like, I, I mean, I, uh, I'm not that mad about it. <laughs> have you guys seen that? Uh, have you guys, there's a TikTok where it's like people, it's like showing like Ford F-150s or whatever. And it's like, you know, I'm a, 
I'm a red blooded American. Yeah, yeah. And then it's yeah. like, I'm a whatever. And then in the end, it's it's the Elon Musk truck or whatever. And it's like Alex Jones yelling, I'm in a technocracy. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, um, um, so I think I think that there is definitely something to the idea that this is like a particularly American issue because in America, you are you are allowed to believe whatever you want. And it and it doesn't matter. That's someone who knows more about it than you do believes differently. So following up on that though, and, and this is something that Angela and I have talked about um, in the past, is that we've we've done a lot of thinking about the idea that like people turn dogmatic because of the fact that there's a loss of hope in other institutions, right? So when you look at example, um, a huge example, and I've I've done a ton of research on this, but like um, the the 2008 uh, economic crash, and then the the prevalence of um, supernatural fiction like Twilight emerging at the forefront of pop culture like there are verifiable kind of ways in which um the places where and instances and eons where um there have been these times of trouble that people turn to to the paranormal and i feel like maybe in this modern era where everything is like failing uh, believing and the hell to die on is like uaps ufos aliens you know is is your way of regaining a measure of, of control in your life too because i feel like maybe these people have nowhere else to turn to so like this idea of of yeah, maybe this is real. You know, like I've been lied to. I've been told that like you know the the economy shit. My buying power is like way down. You know, and so like having this area where you can finally believe without being told not to disbelieve um, uh, turns people um, uh, from like entertainment to to news. In fact, I think that part of it is maybe that I think it's really it's really easy to fall into sort of like just so stories that make us feel better about why people believe these things that we think are silly, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it's really like the idea that people are like, if you look at UFO belief, it is very similar to like religious belief. Yeah. It's very, very similar. And it's, and so is uh QAnon in many ways, you know, it's, and so I think there's something to the idea that like maybe this is coming from a person's loss of control or whatever, but that you see and you see that sort of you see that sort of in the way that the theory or the conspiracy idea or the belief system or whatever kind of showcases itself. But I actually think it's I actually think it's more I think it's a little bit more it's, I think it's a lot more complicated than that because <laughs> you know you like UFO beliefs haven't so okay ufo belief is a pretty modern day phenomena as you can imagine right but like in the 1800s people believed that there were airships pulling people out of their beds at night you know people believed in the 1700s that there were um like fairies that were doing that you know and in the 1500s it was demons and in or, or witches and then demons and then you know, back and back and back and back. So, I mean, Ezekiel's wheel, right? Like exactly. Right. And it's, it's like the one thing that like ancient aliens does get right, which it really hurts me to say, you know, but like the idea that this all could just be like social constructs on top of like whatever they are events that happen to us as humans in our subjective experiences that then we have to understand through our cultural lens, you know, whether or not the experience itself is real. So, so the TLDR on that one is like modern problems require modern solutions. (laughs) <laughs> kind of, you know. Ultimately, the answer is always owls and sleep paralysis. Oh, right, it's always owls and sleep Damn. paralysis. Yeah, or or, uh, or uh, <laughs> giant egrets or whatever. I mean, <laughs> I think the 
so I think that part of it is definitely that. I mean, if you look at like, it's actually interesting. We had a, um, we had somebody on the show with us who studies morbid curiosity. Oh, and his paper showed that people who like watched movies about like zombies or like the world ending felt like they were more psychologically prepared to deal with COVID-19 and the effects of it. So maybe part of it is like a defense mechanism almost, or maybe part of it is people responding to an unsure or un, you know, I think that again, it's a very cozy, that's a very cozy argument for skeptics, right? That like, no, of course. And I think there's like people looking for answers, you know, but at the same time, like you're saying, it's just, it's one facet of an entirely larger, more complex issue that like has multiple things. Like Angela and I have looked into the idea of, um, experiencers using UFOs as a way to sort of like, um, uh, deal with like personal trauma, you know? And so like, there have been stories like that. And, and there's that notion there that like, maybe they do not see something otherworldly, but it is their way of making peace with something that has happened within. Right. I mean, you know, we know like, for example, exactly. Like with that, like we know that people who, you know, a, a often not talk about part of trauma is just how common a response to trauma losing a memory is, (laughs) you know, your brain like clears the cash. Um, that's like not very uncommon and it doesn't, and like trauma doesn't have to necessarily be something, you know, something is as kind of societally, I guess, pleasing or, um, societally like, you know, like it doesn't have to be something like you were, you were beaten up or something by someone. And so then you're traumatized by that, by that attempt or whatever. It could be like a loud noise when you're a kid, you know, it could be something very, very, um, seemingly mundane. So, the idea, again, like I think another big part of this really comes down to the fact that people don't talk to each other about how we think and how we cognate and how we actually experience the world. Because everyone is really like everyone is really afraid of being called crazy, you know? So like if you if you're a you know a 30 something year old um lady who's working at an engineering firm or something and there are there are whole parts of your childhood you can't remember because something terrible, traumatic, you know, traumatic happened to you, whatever. You're not gonna like go. You're not gonna tell somebody that that's what happened. No, right. But um, I, I, and, and also on the flip side of things, and like in conjunction with that, like there's a huge divide between. And you were saying talking to instead of talking at, and I think that's that's the other yes. big issue is that there's the big difference between conversation and just saying your piece and and literally leaving the conversation or checking out. You know, that's the other part of this, I guess, too, that makes me so interested in this and, and why I want to get why I've always wanted to be involved in this is because, again, they're like people can claim that UFOs aren't real, but they, they can't claim that UFO believers aren't real. <laughs> um, and if you speak to somebody who believes they've genuinely had a UFO experience, you really it's really like it's easy being on the Internet and being like, you know, oh, this person's making this story up or whatever. But like. I use this experience all the time because it really did have a huge effect on me. Like you're at a conference on, on aliens and you're thinking it's all fun and games or whatever. I'm walking around taking pictures with, you know, guys dressed up as ET or whatever. I'm having a wonderful time. And then I go into a session for experiencers to talk about their stories. And there are like people going up in front of a room of strangers and like sobbing Mm -hmm. because they think that they've been like abducted and they don't know what happened and they're afraid and, they're afraid for their kids. Like that's like, 
that's a real, <laughs> that's like, oh my God, like this is a real thing that's hurting real people. Like it's not just, um, it's not really funny. Absolutely, <laughs> it's it's yeah. not really like a comical thing. I could see an alternate reality version of myself where I'm one of those people because I've had so much trouble with sleep paralysis. Oh, right. Me, so me 100% uh, too. Yeah, man, absolutely. But because I know what it is, like intellectually, and I've, you know, I've read about it, I understand, okay, this is something that happens to your body. You wake up too early. The rest of you is paralyzed because that's what happens when you're sleeping. So you don't start, you don't start kicking people. And then you wake up at the wrong time. I know this. But when you're, wa- when you're awake at that time, I, you, uh, it sounds like it's happened to you, Chris, but like you, you know, no matter how skeptical you are, you're seeing weird stuff happening it's around scary you. as hell. That's yeah. terrifying. Yes, absolutely. You, again, it's one of my biggest, one of my phobias... Um, or one of my fears, I guess, comes from a an experience of sleep paralysis when I was a kid, where I used to, or I guess nightmares. Right? I've, I've I've always had trouble sleeping, and I've always had issues with sleep and and whatever. Um, and so one of the things that I get a lot is recurring nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was a kid, one of the recurring nightmares was I would be asleep in my bed and I'd be too afraid to move, and I would be hearing like the house. So the house I grew up in was, uh, was pretty old. I guess it was built in like the forties, fifties maybe. Um, and so you, the water was a hot water heater and the pipes would clang at night all the time. And when I was a kid, I was too, too, you know, un, I didn't know that that was what happened, but so I'd sleep in bed and then I would hear like a tapping on the wall. And, I had a nightmare where that tapping was my next door neighbor or something that looked like my next door neighbor that was climbing the wall and was trying to get into the window. Oh, that's not creepy at all. (laughs) (laughs) And he had this, he had a big, a too big grin and these big eyes that didn't look right and uh, would tap on the window, you know? And when I was a kid and you're reading about like UFOs, oh, yeah. abductions, you're like, oh boy. I still can't look at the Whitley Strieber cover of, uh, of communion. communion. Yeah. I, Dude, I it's can't so scary. It. You know, and, and so, <laughs> and then like you become a teenager and you get access to the internet. And the first thing you Google is like, you know, next door neighbor, Joe smiling too big, clicking on window <laughs> or whatever. And, and you find out that like, oh, wait a second. This is like a known thing. And if I do, and if I do these like couple of things before I go to bed, that won't happen to me anymore. Right. As often. Right. And then that works and you're like, oh my God, I've been an idiot. But <laughs> you look, know? you could have looked in the wrong place and said, oh my God. Well, that's the whole other thing. Other people yeah, exactly. are having these re- things. They're seeing the exact same thing. That means it's a real phenomenon that these things exist. And yes. it's not that, okay, that's what happens to people when they have sleep paralysis. There was a thing that was going around when I was in high school that was on like, you know, 4chan and something awful. And these other like paranormal, the the, paranormal message boards or whatever. Was it the, have you seen this man? Yes. Yes. It was. Have you seen this man? Right. Um, the first time I saw that I nearly shit my pants. I was like, (laughs) Oh no. You know? And, and again, no matter how skeptical you are, there's always a part of you that's like, okay, but like, what if, right? Like, like, what if, 
super quickly, we're going to infect our listening audience. If you look in the show notes, we'll drop a link to the Have You Seen This Man uh, yes. picture. So yes, you're welcome. yes. Oh, do, do I need do. to do yeah, this it's... now? I have to go look at this. I, well, I don't remember. You've never, you have seen it. You just don't know what it is. Okay. It's like this. Um, okay, let me give myself some nightmares right now. Yeah, it's like this. So it's this like composite image kind of sketch of a person again with like big almond eyes. And oh, a big yeah. Grin. Oh, yeah. He's creepy looking. He's creepy, right? Yeah. And so if if I had seen that before I had like deduced that like, oh, wait a second, this is like probably has to do with all the other anxiety stuff going on here. I might I might be on like, you know, the Mad Scientist podcast might be like, you know, Believer Central or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, well, you know, he he sort of looks like he could be Carl Sagan's weird cousin. He does look like he could be Carl Sagan's weird cousin, and I guarantee Carl Sagan was the weird cousin. <laughs> um, so you know, it's it, again, and that's another. I think another part of this too is like, it's it's really easy to see why people would again kind of fall into those into those kind of ways of thinking, you know. Um, you know, another one, actually, it's kind of funny. Like I've talked about it on my show. Like I've, I've been diagnosed with OCD now as an adult and like going back to being a kid and thinking about like the stuff that I believed in or thought to do or whatever. It's, you know, like, oh my God, like, that's just me being like, that's just me not having medicine. You know yeah, what I mean? Or yeah. whatever. But you take one wrong turn. Suddenly it's a ritualistic kind of thing. And then you get into this whole other arena of thinking. <laughs> suddenly, just, you're, suddenly you're a wizard. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, sudden, suddenly you're a wizard, you know, and then like you do these five things with crystals every night and good things happen to you. Right. And you know, they're working because like it, it's again, like it's um, it's a mix of things. We're really afraid to. We are really, really afraid to come across, across as crazy to other people. We're really afraid to. Um, discuss how we think and what we're thinking and everything else with people. And we're also, I think, really, we really, really want a sense of community of people, you know? Yeah. And so, again, like like you said before, you know, talking at someone versus talking to someone, the sciences, I think, or scientific people and skeptics in general, I think have really dropped the ball here because, again, all we've done for the last, like, 20 years is just give people bare scientific facts and say you're an idiot for thinking otherwise. <laughs> and that just doesn't Have you work. seen the documentary Flattening the Curve? Or be, what was Angela, the Flat Earth one? Oh, uh, behi- Behind the Curve, something behind, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something um, like that, yeah. So the only, the only reason I bring this up is at the end, one of these scientists says, you know, a lot of people who believe in, in Flat Earth conspiracies are, are interested in knowledge. They just are approaching it wrong. And we need to be more... Uh, open in our hearts to the way that we talk to these people. And I find that super fascinating because that was my main takeaway. It wasn't like, you know, you spent a lot of money on proving that the earth is flat, suddenly realize the earth is round. But the idea that like uh, people are curious. The instrument just a question was of, wrong, like, Brian. The instrument was right, wrong. Of course. I was miscalibrated. But the idea yeah. of, of, of accepting that these people wants to learn. It's just a question of like the information we give them and how we talk to them about it. It's, it's a, it's a huge thing. I mean, I think that the part of what made me want to do Skyhub and part of what made me want to get involved in like UFO groups as like an active member, as opposed to just like a kind of skeptic guy who watches off the sidelines is that exact point. You know, if you talk to people who are into UFOs, most of them really like science. They like math, they like archeology span or they like, you know, whatever, but the community of scientists or mathematicians or archaeologists have pretty much given them nothing but mean looks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
And so if you can't hang out with the cool kids, in this case, if you can't hang out with the nerds, (laughs) you're going to go find like the, the, the table that'll let you in. Yeah. You know, and and I think that points to the dogmatic view because unfortunately, historically there has been an intellectual snobbery to some of this, right? Especially in the skeptic community, which turns a lot of people off as you're saying. And then suddenly that's why you get people who will die on the hill of a report coming out that probably won't have anything of substance inside of it. Oh my God. Every single person with any reason to know that I've talked to has said there is, there's going to be nothing like it doesn't. Okay. Again, I talk, I talk to people who believe in UFOs. I talk to people who don't believe in UFOs. I talk to people who think this is a military threat. I talk to people who think that this is like a psychic threat. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all across the spectrum, the people who have done it the longest and the people who have been the most correct, the most often all agree on this. And, and it's not really hard to think about, but basically it doesn't matter what is in the report. It's not going to answer this question. A lot of people will say the fact that, you know, the people forced an actual report to come out is a victory unto itself. And I think that that is silly. Yes. Because the government does stupid reports on stupid things all the time. (laughs) You know, like getting, getting Marco Rubio (laughs) to agree with your conspiracy theory is like not, and I'm not trying to get political here, but I'm just saying getting Rudy Giuliani to get on camera and say some insane shit is not exactly that hard. So sort of like, um, um, uh, follow this thread through. I'm kind of curious, like, you know, the 2017 Leslie Keen story, the Tic Tac UFOs, the Navy videos, all of this, like, uh, how did you feel initially when like this new, like official, you know, uh, quasi official, like, uh, 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 subset of like UFO reports was like coming out in the last couple of years. So it's funny, actually, I initially was told that like this big UFO story was going to come out and it was going to rock. It was going to rock the world and everyone should get really excited about it. And I actually got that because. (laughs) So this is like a funny tangent aside. I only got that information because I paid $20 to MUFON and they were like. (laughs) And I went to the first MUFON meeting where they like, you know, we're giving out coffee and like muffins and whatever. And there was like an old guy in the corner being like, you want to know national security secrets? <laughs> like, it's, you know, the UFO community is like the worst community at hiding things. Like they're like, I've got a secret. You know, and like they tell everybody. Um, was so he in the like, trench coat? Did he have a manila envelope for you? Okay. I'm not even kidding. Oh, I, can't, I can't even tell this story on. I'm not going to tell the story on the air. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you afterwards. Um, <laughs> the guy, oh, okay, so we'll, we'll we'll skip this and we'll. All right. we'll, we'll no, no, this, so so what I'll say. So what I'll say is this. What I'll say is this. When um when the when the story first came out, I was really excited, and then like within <laughs> the first thing I do when I read a story is I go to find out who wrote the story. Right. And so within ten minutes of discovering who wrote the story and what their background was. I became concerned because although it's in the New York times, these are not New York times reporters. No. Right. These are reporters who are in the New York times this time, but they're not, it's not like, it's not like the, you know, a beat reporter for the New York times picked up this story. They decided to stop reporting on like, I don't know, you know, Iranian 
missile issues or whatever. And they were like, oh, wait, UFOs are a thing. Like, <laughs> this is somebody who's reported on UFOs and ghosts, like, their entire career. Yeah. I mean, she had you know? a book with, like, like I, I was just taking a look back here to see if I had it somewhere. But, like, she wrote a whole book about uh, government official UFOs in 2010. Yeah. So it's like, you know, this, this is like a – so from the beginning, I became kind of suspicious. And then the people involved with it were, like, names that I had heard whispered about, like Skinwalker Ranch – and the Bigelow team and, and all this other stuff. And I was like, well, this is just Bigelow trying again with a different reporter than George Knapp. Yeah. You know, that's what I thought at first. And then. Because Knapp couldn't necessarily get the platform that Leslie King did, right? Uh, you know, George Knapp pitching to the New York Times. I don't know how that would work out. Well, Knapp had already burned his credibility on Lazar. Yeah. You know, so it was already too late for a nap. Like Knapp wasn't coming back. Or like he's, he's still, he's still, he's still carrying that torch. So I think that like he's continually burning. Yeah, I mean, he had already hung, let's say this, regardless of what you think of Lazar, Knapp had already hung his hat on this subject, you yeah. know, so it wouldn't have worked again. If Knapp had come out with another story, people would have said, oh, look, it's just another UFO reporter or another UFO report from this guy who's written a million of them, you know, Leslie Keene was like a newer name, you know, um, to people like outside of UFO or spiritual world or whatever, you know, cult world. She's got the juice, as we say. Yeah, had the juice at the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the you know, um, people who weren't like knee deep in the UFO soup didn't know who she was, and then the story just kind of kept, like, it kept getting harped on again and again, like the same story, just in different places and in different kind of ways, and then, you know, at at and then TTSA kind of got announced or whatever or however that happened and. Again, it was like more Bigelow people. And so, you know, initially I thought, so initially I was excited. Then I was like cautiously optimistic because there still was this government guy, Lou Elizondo, making these claims and everything else. And I was like, that's kind of cool. Maybe he'll be careful with his reputation and whatever. And then he got involved with TTSA and I was like, crap. Yeah. <laughs> Duh, man. <laughs> Not again. Um, And since that time, I've kind of been, I've kind of been hoping that he would leave TTSA and then he did him and him and Chris Millen left TTSA. And so I was happy with that, but you know, I think it's like, it's interesting. You have kind of a weird dichotomy right now where there's sort of two teams trying to sell the same kind of story, but doing it in different ways, you know, but like that, I don't know. There's kind of like a UFO civil war going on right now. Like a, a UFO cold war going on right now that people don't really realize. Like you have stories all coming from like the George Knapp camp. And then you have stories coming from like the Lou Elizondo camp and they don't really seem to get along that well. No, exactly. You know, so it's a very fascinating thing. Um, but I feel like it's also become a very inside baseball thing. Like to, uh, once again, like to someone who's only read the New York times and seen these articles and then like, you know, maybe heard about the newest Navy video. The differences are so minute, but to the rest of us who spent a lot of time reading, thinking, talking about these things, it's like, it's just, it, it almost feels like more of the same. I think, well, I think part of it is that, well, okay. To me, the scariest thing has been that the media has clearly not learned any lessons from QAnon. They're just like, they'll just report anything. You know, if you, if you handed a reporter, like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, just crazy, you know, um, they'll report on anything. It seems like, 
And I think the internet has kind of created the situation where they're not, people don't like, look in the morning when I start my work computer, I look at five websites, right? I load up the onion. (laughs) I load up Kotaku. I load up the New York times. I load up, um, boston.com and I load up the Staten Island.com, like SI live website, right? SI live. I like reading for the, uh, the comment sections where people troll and flame each other, right? That's fun. Boston. I read for local news. The New York times I read for like, you know, world news or whatever. Um, Kotaku. I read for like Pokemon news. And then the onion, I read for real news. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at like, like UFO people are really like, oh, we're getting such good publicity and whatever. And then like today, right. You you see what people think about UFO, the topic really, because Giuliani has Nick Pope on and all of these like actual news reporters come out and are like, I can't believe Giuliani would steep so low to talk about UFOs. Yeah. It's like they think less of you than they think of Rudy Giuliani. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, know I mean? like you have not won this messaging war. No. Like in well, some he ways, was melting the most, on TV once he was melting on TV, <laughs> you know, if, if, if really, and so the UFO subject kind of has an interesting dichotomy here where on the one hand, they want to try to make the claim that the public, you, you have to go out to these crazy events and whatever, because the public needs to be told about UFOs being a serious thing now. And so any publicity is good publicity. On the other hand, with the same face, they want to make the claim that so much of the public now believes in UFOs that it has to be given official attention. So I think, and it's funny because I was thinking about this over the last week, and it is definitely an issue of quantity versus quality and people yes. confusing quantity for quality. Absolutely. It's it's quantity versus quality, and it's also like, it also really is the idea that clicks are indicative of public opinion. Yes. You know? Donald Trump's tweets got more views and likes and whatever. Like I like so many of Donald Trump's tweets because I'd read them and be like, that is crazy. (laughs) Like (laughs) this is like the kind of chaos that I want. Like, I mean, I didn't want it eventually, but at the beginning I was like, this is crazy, right? Like what the hell? I can't believe this guy's president. This is wacky as heck. Um, And to be honest, like if disclosure were to happen, it would have happened under him. Dude, just everything was being disclosed. Are you kidding me? Like, if, if Donald Trump knew about aliens, he would have stamped he his name. He would have blabbed it, ship. for sure. Are yeah. you kidding me? That would have been the greatest press conference of all time. Hey, everyone, this is Norbiff. He comes from the planet, you know, uh, Norton 6. He is very, very big. He's a big boy, big hands, very yeah. statuesque. Like, it could just, it would have been such a great news cycle. This is my buddy, Valiant Thor. He's <laughs> very, very important. So, I think that you know, the argument that like ufology needs more clicks or more information is a complete falsity. It's completely fabricated by people who want to make a fake reason for why it is that they keep taking money to be on insane things. Well, uh, or, you know? or like, there's that financial incentive too, right? All these people, like I remember the very sweaty Tom DeLong TTSA, like investment meeting where he's demanding that people, you know, buy in at like two or two fifty a share or whatever. Right. Well, and that's, you, that's you look at all this and exactly. you, you, you got to question it. There's a monetary, I mean, well, that's, there's a monetary reason for doing these things too. Of course there always is. Um, but you know, I think, I really do think that a big part of this is, well, okay. I do think that a lot of this is just grifting, right? It's people who 
They need to make a living somehow now. And so it doesn't, you know, like Nick Pope doesn't care about UFO people, right? Like if he did, he wouldn't have gone on Rudy Giuliani's podcast. (laughs) He doesn't care. Um, Because like he wants to, he needs to make like a living, you know, he needs to make money to do this, which is, you know, okay, fine. But like, because there's that weird problem where they're like, if you go down the, the, the paranormal side of things, like you become almost tainted, right? So you have to play to the audience who respects you versus you may have burned enough bridges in like quote unquote, more legitimate forms of journalism. So it's harder to get a job there. So you just, you keep going back to the well of the people, you know, who'll give you money. Like you're saying like the, he doesn't, and a lot of these people don't necessarily care about those people. They just care about what their pockets look like. Yeah. They, I think that for a lot of them, it, it becomes an ends. Well, it's also an ends justified that means thing, right? They think that it, if going on Tucker Carlson, if going on Rudy Giuliani's podcast, if going to the history channel or whatever gets more people to ask the government about aliens and eventually disclose what they know, then it was all worth it. But I think that's like, it's, it's like saying, it doesn't matter how I got, you know, it's like the argument of, you know, it doesn't matter how I got to the top. It doesn't matter how many people I had to piss off and and stab and whatever. I got to the top. Yeah. But then when you're there, no one supports you. You know, it's, it's like, it, it doesn't, every time they do these events and whatever, they're giving away a part of their credibility that they'll never get back to the point now where if the government does come out and say, Hey, um, this Elizondo guy is like, is telling the truth, actually. Like, it, it turns out that, like, he did work for us and all this other stuff and whatever, which I think is actually true. Like, the evidence is that he totally did work for this program and they, yeah. it looks like they deleted his emails. Like, there's all this, all this very suspicious stuff happening. The thing is that, like, that guy that's saying all this stuff or whatever is, like, now wearing a chicken suit because, he did an endorsement deal with KFC. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, absolutely, absolutely. It just it stops it stops um, being meaningful anymore. They they lose credibility because they're so, you know the the best you follow if if the if the measure of a good UFO researcher is getting people interested in UFO subjects, then the best UFO researcher of the last hundred years is Fox Mulder. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so or George Sukles, right? With you or know. George Sukles. Yeah. Yes. So it's it's just a very interesting thing right now. And again, they're they want to be able to say that it's serious and it's a real thing and whatever, while also playing footsie with like the cattle mutilation crowd and, and whoever. And <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work that way. I'm curious, Chris. Have you ever read the the Brookings report? Yes, but it was so long ago. But I mean, the general gist is the public may not be ready to understand a lot of what's yeah. going on here. I'm just kind of curious, like, what is your take on that then? I think that the majority of the public would not give two dams if UFOs are real. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do not think, like, most people didn't care that there was, like, an attempt to undermine an election. That's true. You know, most people didn't care that, like, <laughs> like most most people don't care. Most yeah. people are worried about like getting food on their table. And that's the, that's what I was thinking too is that like unless that directly impacts their day-to-day life in a very fundamental manner, they won't care. Well, they didn't even care about the pandemic half the people. Exactly. Exactly. And most people that was didn't, a huge yeah. uh, like problem in in our lives. I I think that part of the public I think part of part of the argument there is that like the public wouldn't be ready for something like this. 
I think a more, I think that a much more um, reasonable argument or form of that argument is the technology that aliens would bring would be so disruptive that our government couldn't handle it. <laughs> right. Or that yeah, our society no, itself, like not like the people of society, but like the social structure itself couldn't handle it. You know what I mean? You know, people always do the one about, um, people always do the argument about, you know, oh, we get, we get energy from aliens or free energy or whatever, limitless energy, almost suddenly, you know, all the gas station workers have nowhere to go or whatever. That is like such an old version of this argument. But another one like this that I think is actually quite interesting is like, imagine aliens get here and they haven't procreated biologically in millennia. Right. Right. They get here and the aliens don't need to bone to make other aliens. Our concepts of gender would be meaningless to them. Right. Forget like gender, not being like a, so, you know, gender being a social construct or whatever, like their concept of biological gender <laughs> might not make, like we might not make sense to them. It's funny you say that because uh, Angela and I have discussed this before about the idea of how we as the human race are inherently selfish because in all of these stories of like otherworldly beings, we always cast them as like, they're uh, like different than us, but not that different. No, like, they're just smart. They got two eyes sm- and a mouth and like, and like some of them have ears and like, there's, there's not enough like blob UFOs. There's not enough like three eared, you know, like zero eyed UFO, like aliens out there for me to like, like get behind. You know, it's actually really interesting. We had on a guy a professor who his name is Abel Mendez and he worked at the Arecibo observatory for a long time until it kind of shut and is now for SETI um, the leader of their like exobiology um, one of their exobiology groups. And he actually kind of blew my mind on one of the episodes we did with him where he talked about like a lot of the, like I made that same argument to him. I was like, why are there blob UFOs? Or, or why would, would like I asked him, what do you think aliens would look like? And he was like, well, probably they'd look like us. And I was like, what? Like <laughs> I expected him to be like, well, we wouldn't look like little grays or whatever. But he was like, probably like a little gray guy. I was like, what are you talking? You know, he didn't say that exactly. <laughs> but 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 some of the reasons he gave was actually really fascinating. Or I asked him, you know, even like, what does he think a planet with aliens would look like would be? And he gave some really smart like, think about this, right? This is the one that blew my mind and I st- I will never get over it I don't think. So like okay, why do we think an alien planet an a-, a planet with intelligent alien life would have to have an oxygen environment? Right? Yeah. Why do we think that? He the reason he gave was extremely smart. He was like, "Well, oxygen is the only gas that will allow for a flame that's hot enough to melt metal." So if they entered a metallic age of any sort, there has to be an oxygen right. environment. Right. That's really interesting. That, <laughs> my, no, seriously, my brain like, was like, oh my God. So like, once again, like Angela and I here, uh, uh, learning things. So to me, <sighs> I, that's a takeaway for me now. Dude. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's, it was like, and even with like the biology of them or whatever, he was like, you know, they probably are made of, I'm going to redo that section there. Cause I dropped something like an idiot. <laughs> even on their biology, he was like, you know, they'd probably be like us. They'd probably have, um, some kind of thing like a hand to use tools. They 
probably would have an organ for seeing because that seems to be very useful for using tools and communicating. They'd have to have some way to make sound or some kind of signal to communicate back and forth. Um, and he was like, you know, they probably would be, um, they probably would be a carnivore or, or eat like us in some way because it's the most efficient way we know of to get energy and to distribute it. Um, <laughs> basically giving all these reasons why like, you know, aliens on Star Trek going to a planet and it just being like, you know, girls in green bikinis, all these reasons why he was like, that is science. <laughs> you know, and I was like, no, it's not. No, it's not. That's stupid. That's just fan service. It is an important point though. You know, I mean, we do definitely think at the, at the very least, we, we expect aliens to be close enough to us in some ways that they would be able to communicate with us. Yeah. And I'm not really sure that that makes any sense because, again, Angela and I have referred to Earth as like the trailer park of, of the galaxy. Like, why would they even <laughs> want to talk to us a lot of the time? Right. Like, we're still a warlike kind of like planet that doesn't really have a lot to offer someone who has like space travel. And we also... We're also not that much, we're not that unique, it turns no, out. No. You know, like as a planet, like there are other planets that have similar, you know, likely have similar uh, environments to Earth. Or and their amoeba least, are probably way friendlier. Right. Or at least similar compositions. And again, if you're at the point where you can, if you're at the point where you can travel the stars, like we currently do 3D printing where we basically just take you know, material and break it down into its constituent parts and then build with it. Like, why would they care if the organic matter, like, why would they care if the chemical is like in a certain form? Like you see, you hear people argue like, you know, Oh my God, they're coming here for our, they're coming here for our gold or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, what? Why would they come here for our gold? Like, we're not the only planet out with gold. You know, we're not, we're not even the only like rock in this solar system with gold. I've often fantasized about the aliens coming down and trying to talk to inanimate objects who seem superior to us, like, you know, like going to like a, a Ford hatchback and just talking to it. Right. Or like yeah, a like talking to Alexa. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. like someone who is like higher up on the, like the, the quote unquote, like evolutionary chain to them, what that is. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's what's well, a South park. They come down and talk to the cows, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's a great point. The visitors. But just coming back to the whole, like, you know, like imminent disclosure is imminent for the last, like, what, like, God, like 20 years at least. When um, was that what press think- club meeting? Uh, yes. The really sad one. Um, once again, shout out to uh, Angela's favorite grifter, uh, Stephen Greer. Um, what do you think the government has to gain by playing any of these games? Because that's where we get stuck on. We're like, what what would get them to buy in? And the only thing that makes sense to, to, to me right now about this is that it allows them to open up a larger defense budget without having an actual enemy to antagonize. Well, I think we're, I think we're really giving a lot of credence to UFO reporting on this. Like, what do you mean by the government playing ball? Like, why is the government, like, why are they doing this investigation at all? Yeah, like, why are they, like, uh, like entertaining any of this, really? Like, instead of, like, just doing some quick due diligence, be like, no, whatever, go away. It's, it I seems mean, like- I don't know. Why did the Senate do, like, 87 Benghazi hearings? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's the same group of senators, even. Yeah. Like, because the Senate is full of stupid people. You know, I mean, that's, you know, not to say that like everyone that believes in UFOs is stupid, but like that's a very viable answer, right? No, like the sure. Senate, um, you know, like like that's the thing with with this like Elizondo. One of the big contentions at the beginning was like, did he work with the Department of Defense, the Department of Energy, or whatever, or you know, was he this rogue agent? But it's like 
No, Harry Reid just like yeah, here's wrote, a letter. Yeah, he just he, Harry Reid just made an appropriation for his buddy Robert Bigelow to study UFOs. Like it's just government pork. Yeah, you know, it's just like a handout. Like yeah. it's, um, <laughs> you know, like it's just can, can, um. It's just corruption. Because sometimes I, I veer back. And that's the thing, too. Like, sometimes I veer back between, like, maybe this is a way in which, like, because the war on terror is, is played out, maybe this is a new way of, like, sort of, like, opening something up. And then, like, I veer back to, like, bureaucracies are big and dumb. And, like, there's no real reason why any of this matters. Yeah, I mean, I think, so I think, okay, like, there's definitely a part of this that seems to be there are people involved in this who want to get defense contracts, who want to get more money for their own pet projects with UFO stuff and, and whatever. Like, that's definitely a part of it. I think that for the senators involved, they probably would like to talk about anything except for the January 6th commission. <laughs> so that's a huge part of this too, right? Is if this was like a normal time period in American politics, would we be talking about UFOs? I don't think so. The other part of it is too, that they, I think, I think there is a lot of smoke and it's, you know, senators are just people like just because you become a senator doesn't mean you're any smarter or um, more informed than the majority of the public, right? It usually just means you're richer. So, you know, I think that if, um, you know, if, if someone in your life that you trust can believe in UFOs, which I know that's true for me, then it, it doesn't really make me wonder why someone like in the government would believe in them because those are just people, you know? So, um, so why do I think the government is like getting involved in this or why do I think they're doing this report? I think there's a lot of different reasons, Part of it is is potentially monetary for some who are pushing it. Some of it is probably political to get a you know to get an easy win with the public. Another part of it might just be real curiosity, right? I don't know. Maybe Marco Rubio saw a UFO when he was a kid or something. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I like that idea the best, the most altruistic one. Um, yeah, he uh, like actually cares. I mean, yeah. man, it's like that's the one none of us jump to. in government, right? I was so. going to say, it's crazy that that's the one reason government gets involved in this that we none of us jump to. was like, they actually care about this subject and want to protect their citizens. We were all <laughs> like, no, no, it's money. <laughs> they want to sell UFOs at McDonald's, man. <laughs> you know, um, and part of what I think too is like, I do think it is a legitimate, like if you ask someone in your life who doesn't know anything about UFOs, if they've seen the recent news reports about them and what do they think, they're probably going to be like, probably most of them are going to say, no, I didn't see them. And that's been my experience. Well, my wife is the best barometer for that because I, I try not to talk about this as much to gauge her. So yeah. like, like <laughs> level of involvement. And she's like, I think I saw something on like Buzzfeed like a month ago, maybe like on Buzzfeed yeah. news. And that was it. I'll have to ask my wife as well because she does not care about this stuff at all. My wife straight up is just like, I only know about this because you yell about it sometimes in the, in the <laughs> office, you know, that's like her only interaction with UFO world. So I think, um, but if you, if you ask, if you find someone who's been following it, I think most of them are going to say, it looks like the government is saying something is really here, you know? And I do really think that in a field like this, where there is such little evidence that, um, Perception is reality. Right, Chris, hit us with this. Late breaking, we took a quick break, uh, and you decided to check the news, and this is what we've got going on. I literally reloaded Twitter 
to see if I was getting pantsed on Twitter. Government, so this is from the New York Times. Government finds no evidence that aerial sightings were alien spacecraft. Washington, American intelligence officials have found no evidence that aerial phenomena witnessed by Navy pilots in recent years are alien spacecraft, but they still cannot explain the unusual movements that have mystified scientists in the military. According to senior administration officials briefed on the findings of a highly anticipated government report, <laughs> the report determines that a vast majority of more than 120 incidents over the past two decades did not originate from any American military or other advanced U.S. government technology, the officials said. The determination would appear to eliminate the possibility that Navy pilots who reported seeing unexplained aircraft might have encountered programs the government meant to kept secret. But that is about the only conclusive finding in the classified intelligence report, the officials said. And while a forthcoming unclassified version expected to be released to Congress by June 25th will present few other firm conclusions, senior officials briefed on the intelligence conceded, um, Senior officials briefed on the intelligence conceded that the very ambiguity of the findings meant the government could not definitively rule out theories that the phenomena observed by military pilots might be alien spacecraft. So this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun to watch the next couple of days. So more of the same. Uh, yeah. I mean, exactly what we said was going to happen, right? That it, it didn't, <laughs> I love that we proved a happen. hypothesis right in the middle of an episode. I don't think we've ever done this before, but like this is kind of exciting. What I think this will end up being or what I think will end up happening here is so here. Okay. In my more conspiratorial moments, right? Oh, you're going dark on us. Go ahead. What I suspect the most dangerous outcome from this report will be is the government comes out and says, we have nothing to suspect that they're alien or American military. They might be Russian or Chinese drone technology, which is what that report says, or that reporting in the New York Times seems to say it says. And UFO people do not take that as an answer. No, they do not. There's no way they're taking that as an answer. And so they decide to start um, investigating themselves. It's basically what happened with Pizzagate, Right. Right, and that ended super well. No one brought guns to a pizza parlor. It's totally fine. Yeah, nothing happened, right? <laughs> nothing dangerous happened at all. So, yeah, I do feel, unfortunately, like, given the dogmatic, tribalistic way in which people now operate when it comes to these bits of news, I think there might be a bit of that. I don't know how overtly um, um, overthrowy they feel, but I do feel, unfortunately, like there will be a segment of the population wanting to do that. It's funny, right? I don't think... I don't think it has to be, it doesn't, that's the thing with this stuff, right? It doesn't have to be organized, right? I mean, you know, Timothy McVeigh wasn't told by some group of terrorists that he should bomb a government building. Right. Right. He just picked up on the breadcrumbs that were left for him. The other day, actually on UFO Twitter, I got piled on because um, some person posted a thing that basically said, I'm not done with disclosure until the bodies hit the floor. Oh yeah, I saw that, and I was like, "This is ridiculous." I think it was was um, I don't want to get this wrong, but I it was, was Corbell. Like, it was Corbell. Yes, okay. And I, yes, I, it was ridiculous. I didn't want to say Corbell, but it, I figured it was him. And the and the and the UFO crowd's reasoning was, well, he's just referencing the world-renowned uh, two, late two thousands metal song "Let the Bodies Hit the Floor" by Drowning Pool. 
You know, and, and Giuliani was just saying a Game of Thrones reference when he said that there should be trial by combat, you know, and now Giuliani's part of UFO world. It's all coming together. <laughs> so you know, it's maybe so he should be invited to a lot of these conferences then in that case, right? Get like, him on the stage. Yeah. Let's just have him talk it what out. What does he know? He so, did a pillow ad during his uh, He did UFO do a pillow show. ad. Good God. Um, it's making me think pillows might not be real. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If there's one takeaway for our listeners, it has to be that. Again, they've kind of worked people up into this like kind of frenzy of this. This is their whole, um, this is their whole being. This is this is the report that's going to finally make all the people in their lives who make fun of them for believing in UFOs eat crow and come back and and have some humble pie, right? And now that it's becoming increasingly clear that that isn't what this report is going to do, it's going to hurt a lot of people. Even if it doesn't hurt them physically, it's going to hurt a lot of people mentally and emotionally. So, Absolutely. You know, and that's, 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 that's a shame. That sucks. It's funny that you, in talking before about how you went to a UFO conference and you're witnessing these people, um, you know, telling stories that to them is very authentic to a lot of people on the same sort of spectrum. This kind of stuff is very real to them too, in different kinds of ways. So it's, it's very interesting how human emotion plays in different ways when it comes to, to something that you can't control or articulate or interact with in the ways in which you want. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, not to draw a parallel between the two, but like just, uh, high level human emotion running high. Yeah. There's like yeah. a lot of that. There is. There absolutely is. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of funny how much guys, I don't think we should do a podcast again because too much news breaks. <laughs> like this has been a banner day for UFO news, frankly. So things have gotten kind of intense, but yeah, well, it's let, so let's flip to something a little bit more evergreen, right? So you, and we were talking about this before, like I mentioned the intro, you've talked about this. Let's talk about Skyhub a bit and like why you decided to get involved and what this project aims to do in terms of, um, I don't want to say like the classic line, like bringing cre- credibility to this, but just being able to offer um, um, data in a way that is tangible to people. Yeah. So, you know, like we said, or like we've kind of, I think, made clear throughout this interview, right? Although maybe we don't all agree on what the, what the source of UFO reports are, the fact that there are reports is kind of un, you know, unambiguous and uncontroversial, right? People are making reports of UFOs. And I think a lot of those people, the vast majority make those reports in good faith and think that there really is something there that if you investigated it, they would find what Skyhub tries to do is we try to, we're trying to create a platform where people who are interested in UFOs can follow a set of instructions on our website to build an at-home camera and sensor package that allows them then to basically have a camera running on the roof of their home looking up at the sky um, that only records when an object comes into frame. And that data is then uploaded to the cloud and classified using um, various machine learning um, tools applied to computer vision Um application. So for example, you know, um, one way we do that now is, or one way we're looking at doing it now, I should say, is you treat each object like a blob. So you don't really care about its shape. You just care about the the center of its body. You can, can then measure where the point moves in space and basically get estimates for its kind of kinetic parameters, right? So what the camera sees. And just like you would use those cues to determine if it's a bird or a plane or whatever, um, the computer will do the same thing. So that's kind of the general idea. Um, a secondary reason or a secondary, a, a reason why I got involved here was because again, um, like you said on that, you know, the documentary on the flat earth folks, 
people who believe in UFOs or who are interested in UFOs generally are people who really do like and are interested in the sciences and math and computers and everything else. They just have never been given a good outlet to do that kind of stuff. You know, they've, they've never had a good place to go and like work on a project with people in this kind of hobby way that they do with UFOs. And so we're also trying, or kind of my idea here, and one of the things I liked about this project was the potential of making a community where, you know, people like me growing up who liked science but also thought this kind of weird stuff was really interesting and cool um, give a place for, you know, 13-year-old Chris to go on weekends and and build something cool and learn some cool skills. So um, that's kind of the general idea there. So it's been... It's been a lot of fun. It's been pretty successful so far. Like the amount of people who have joined up with us is astounding to me. Um, we are getting close to like a thousand people on our mailing list. Um, we've got over 200 people in our discord. I'm sure it's almost 300 now, actually. In fact, I could go check actually. Hold on a second. We have 400 people in our discord <laughs> now. <laughs> And yeah, there's just, there's a huge amount of folks interested in this who are, who are coming on and given their expertise and backgrounds and stuff. And I mean, you know, it's, we've had people from, we've had people from SpaceX, we've had people from NASA, we've had people from, um, your local church, you know? So it's, it's been really cool. It's just a huge swath of different people involved. What I find really interesting is that like you are giving people a way in in which they don't necessarily have to participate in terms of like, you know, um, setting a kid up, but at least like there's a joy in data there that they can understand. And like uh, people who are more knowledgeable can like walk others through this process. So I find that really interesting in terms of like empowering people. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, we're, it's funny actually. So like I, I started this when I started getting involved in this, I know very little about coding. Like the only type of programming I ever learned was in school and it was like R, which is like kind of a kind of like Python. It basically is Python. Um, but I, I learned that like very limitedly. Um, I almost failed statistics actually the first time I took it. So I was not <laughs> good at that. And then Fortran, which is this like engineering language from the 1990s that we still teach because all of our chemical plants run on it. <laughs> and so my coding experience is like pretty limited. I know the basics, but it was pretty limited when we started and in doing this project, like it's a reason to get good at that. It's a reason to sharpen that skill, you know? So it's a really cool, again, just like a really cool um, reason to get involved in something like this that you otherwise, again, wouldn't really get that skill. You know, I have learned like a stupid amount about 3D printing, even just about like leading a team or managing a team. Like it's, it's just been a really cool experience. And if people want to come along and like learn that stuff with us, please do, you know, cause there's, we got plenty of space. We, we need all the people we can get cause it's all done for free. And so it's all just people donating their time. What I love about this too, is that you like I remember uh, when you had got burned by MUFON and wanted to get involved in that, and realizing like it was a huge dumpster fire that you need to run away from uh, to an endeavor that is like more altruistic in nature and less involving like egos. When you know the center of this is is data and like collaboration. Yeah, the other the other important thing of this and the the other reason I joined at all or even considered joining was that it's all open source and it's all open access data. So like. Like, obviously, we're we're putting cameras and, like, GPS things on top of people's roofs. So, like, we have to protect their data in some ways. 
but like the output data and all that other stuff, you know, if we capture a cool video, it goes up on our YouTube page. There's a 24 hour live stream from one of our people's um, houses in France <laughs> that like is their Skyhub camera along with like a radar setup and stuff that they've got. Like it's, we want this to be super open. We want this to be super transparent and we want, again, we, we just think it's like, if people want to look for UFOs, that's totally cool with us. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. Let's look for UFOs. Then you don't need the, the jerks on the history channel to look for UFOs, right? Yeah. The gatekeeping yeah, is there. You don't anymore. need to do, you don't need to go to a conference anymore. You don't need to like get involved with people that maybe you're, you don't want to get involved with. Um, you can do it yourself. So do it yourself. It's cool. You know, you can, you can learn it. And if you have trouble learning it, we have, we have people that'll help teach you. And the other cool thing about that too is because the data is open source, you never know what someone may do to like build a new tool to interpret it or like whatever it is, right? So the cool thing is that like there's all these really positive unintended consequences that I tend to see when data or like programming languages or whatever gets, you know, to an open source way in which like people can easily access data. And then like you get these people who are very smart who try to interpret or like harness the power of the data to to display things. Absolutely. Like some of the some of the things we've actually captured with Skyhub so far have been like uh, giant flocks of birds, right? And like that's one application that we've started thinking about is like, could we track specific bird species with it, right? Like a bird watching tool, that'd be kind of cool. Um, we can track and measure like the weather, you know. I mean, obviously, but like you could make a weather station with a camera using a sky hub. We can do all kinds of cool stuff with it. We we've captured like, you know, you can see like the International Space Station, you know, with with one of our units. Like not clearly, right? It's a fisheye camera, but like right our goal is to add other cameras to add telescoping um, capabilities, like all those other things. So there's a lot of applications for something like this that, yeah, we, we really hope people will play with it and, you know, again, run with the run with it. Cause it is open, you know, all the code is there. So Angelo, this might be a good way for you to bond with your kids. Have them take pictures of UFOs. They'd be, they'd love it. My daughter loves coding. So she's better. Oh, yeah. than I Your daughter, your sure. daughter might love it, man. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool thing. I tried to get her interested in Area 51 by the, she had access to these uh, books online for, through school and there was a book on Area 51. Uh, but uh, no, she said no. She She's like smart. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, but it's it's interesting. She's like, uh, she did one of those 12-year-old girl shrugs. I was going to say, the thing is too, if your parents are into something, it immediately loses like 50 intrigue points. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Into- well, yes and no that she she is totally into uh, magic, which is something I'm into. Oh, okay. So there. So, but okay. you, you need to specify sure. illusions, not magic. Yeah, not, not magic, the gathering. <laughs> Though there are card tricks involved in all. And Chris, unfortunately, like Angelo loves to show me now that we're on video, he loves to show me card tricks and it's very annoying. <laughs> not oh, come on, it can't be that. It's awesome. I've man. shown you one card oh, trick. You show me one one per episode, and you missed. Today. No, that's not. He's lying. He is lying. Card trick aficionado <laughs> over here. He's lying. <laughs> um, uh, speaking about hobbies, though, um, Chris, you've recently, and I love this because I love living online. You recently started streaming on Twitch, and um, some of the ways which you and I have connected on Twitter are like. Uh, appreciating similar streamers. And so like I, the other reason I want to have you on is just to nerd out about like Twitch streaming, speed running, um, that whole domain and like how you came to like enjoy these. Oh my God. Yeah. I love, oh my God. Okay. So I have actually been going through and watching um, all of these Zelda speed running communities. Um, they had like a 20, I guess it was 2021. Maybe it was 2020. They're accessible Zelda Ocarina of Time randomizer races. 
Okay. I've been watching all of those. I love playing randomizers so much. Like I've done a couple of them on stream now. Um, I think the last one I did was a Majora's Mask one. Dude, I, I love those. Like I love those games so much and I played them so much as a kid and getting to go back through them now and have like another reason to play them is so sweet. But yeah. Well, endless reasons to play them, right? Because the randomizers are also like, there's so many ways in which randomizers are customized. Like I'm a huge Link to the Past fan. So watching the different mods for randomizers yeah. is like super fascinating to me because like no matter where you're going to land, it's an entirely new game. Absolutely. It's so cool. I mean, yeah. So that's been super fun. And then actually I think I actually think probably the first people I watched stream anything were it might have honestly might have been the um, it might have been AGDQ. Okay. Were the first ones I watched. So awesome games done quick. So I think those are the first ones I watched actually. So I like I remember watching I remember watching like the original like the Zelda runs from like Narcissa or from like ZFG or whatever. Yeah. And then like being super into them and, and just being like amazed that you could you know break this game <laughs> so much. And then I think actually the first time I played, so I actually came on to like dark souls is one of my favorite video games now of like all time. And the first time I played it though, I only played it because my buddy Steve came over and it was like a weekend. Our wives were out riding horses. <laughs> and so we just were like in our, you know, in my apartment in, in Massachusetts, hanging out. We didn't have anything to do. We didn't have a video game to play together. And so we were going through like this. You were going through like the Xbox store and we saw this game and we watched the intro to it. And we were like, this is heavy metal as hell. Like we have to play this. Right. And so we like we got like maybe like, you know, an at, like we played it for like seven hours. Um, and like got to a point that now I can beat in like 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like it's like not hard to get to that part. But after like beating it, I was like, I want to watch people. Like, I want to know if there's like stuff I missed or whatever. And I saw, I saw a Lobos, uh, junior run where he, um, I don't think it was a speed run. I think he just like beat the game with like the ladle, you know, (laughs) he beat it with like some terrible weapon. And it was, I was just like captivated. And so, since then, like it was funny when I it was actually about the time I started podcasting that I started watching speedrunning and like I wanted to always do both or at least like stream games. And I the thing was that like it was way cheaper to buy like a microphone <laughs> as a grad student than it was to like buy a good gaming PC. And so I went for podcasting. But now how do you feel about the decision? Yeah, I, I think the decision was a good one. I think it was pretty good. <laughs> I don't know how. um Podcasting is good because it gives you time to like choose when you want to do it. Right. Right. Twitch, like streaming games, whatever. It's like building an audience is hard. It's hard. It's harder. I think on Twitch than it is on, on a podcast where people can like pick it up whenever they want. So, but yeah, it's been, it's been super fun. So I'm on there. I try to be on there at least like once a week, um, playing different stuff. So like actually right now I'm playing, um, I'm playing crusader Kings. Nice. Okay. Um, which is a lot of fun. My character just recently had, so I was like almost the king of Germania or the emperor of Germania, right? Because I'd, I'd conquered like Lotharingia and then France and whatever. And then my my wife, my character's wife died and my character at like 32 was like, I'm heartbroken. And then he had a heart attack. <laughs> and I had no air and I was like, what the hell? Like I was almost king. I was so close or emperor. I was so close to being emperor. That RNG Dude, got you. So, 
so frustrating. So yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun though. But so what, what made you want to like jump in at that specific point in time? Like you're like, this is 2021 and I'm doing this. I was able to convince my wife to let me buy a PC. <laughs> that was it. That was it. I had tried like I had tried streaming from my old computer a little bit and it just didn't work. Okay. You know? And so really it was like it was I needed a new computer to do like podcasting stuff anyways. And I also have a good enough job now, like a good enough day job that I was like I can afford a pretty good PC, so <laughs> I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> it's funny. That was it coming was back to, to GDQ? Is like Angelo knows that like mid January and either mid June or mid August, depending on the year. Like I'm, there's gonna be an episode of Double Density where I'm gonna mention this because like my friends and I, like we take days off work to just hang out. It's and, like, so watch good, things. dude. It, they're so good. I mean, like besides the fact that they're super entertaining too, like it's just such a cool. I don't know. It's really easy to like. Like I, I watch. I watched ZFG. I've watched more ZFG than I've probably watched of like. I probably watched more ZFG than I've listened to some podcast that I like. I consider like my favorite podcasts, right? You know, so it's like it's just like a really cool. Um, I don't know. It's just a really cool like way of engaging with this kind of content you like. And also, I love the fact that like it's it's a really interesting way of like watching how the sausage gets made. Almost like it's the process to me is just as interesting as the end result. Absolutely, like watching somebody figure out how to do a speed run and like finding the glitches and stuff. Or like, I don't know if you ever saw there's the video where anyone who doesn't like watch speed runs is like, we're mentioning these names. They're like, who are these people? What are these things? But so there's a guy that speed runs the wind waker Linkus. And so he has a video on, there's a part of the wind waker where like people tried to get past this one barrier for a super long time. And it was like, they, they all thought it was impossible. And then they finally did it. And it was like this huge like thing. And it's like, it's stuff like that that I think is really cool. Like it's cause it's not just, um, it's not just like playing a game. It's like breaking the game so that you can beat it as quickly as possible. Absolutely, It's yeah. just a very cool, like, I don't know. It's just, it speaks to like the little nerd kid in me. Who's like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I could, you know, I could beat Mario 64 in an afternoon, you know, like it's that kind of thing. It's just very cool. It's a very cool thing to be to be checking out. Another cool thing too is watching um, a lot of these like um, programmers or like people who like were actively involved in the creation of these games, like watching speedruns or like watching their reactions and like the unintended ways in which like players uh, make decisions that like they never saw coming. Even like yeah. 20, 25 years later, there's all the stuff that's like being discovered continually. Yeah, it's so cool. It's just it's like a um, it's like a deeper. It's like the deepest way for you to enjoy these kind of pieces of media. Um, with, with video games. So it's just a very, it's a very fascinating thing. I also really like the ones though, the games that are like so well programmed that you can't do any tricks in them. (laughs) You know, like, or they're so simple that like, you just can't do anything, you know? But, uh, yeah, it's very, very cool. So if people haven't watched speedruns, check them out. They're, they're very good. And check Chris out on. So what is your handle on Twitch? So it's twitch.tv slash mad science cogs. So yeah, check me out. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. I've I've dipped in whenever I'm around a PC and I've I've watched you run uh uh was it Majora's Mask or, or? It's probably Majora's yeah, Mask. I've you watched you do out. I've watched you do like five or six times now. And whenever I'm around yeah. a PC and I see you live, like the uh, chat's super chill, there's a couple of people hanging out. It's like and that's what it is. I love the vibes of a lot of these speedrunners because it's not like esports where people are screaming up and down the entire time. It's like everyone's very relaxed. People are like super open to like asking questions and answering things while they're doing stuff. Like it's very, very um there's a communal spirit to it that you don't necessarily see in some uh facets of Twitch streaming. 
Yeah, we try, we try, I try really hard to make it like pretty comfortable for people. And actually a lot of the people that are on my stream are like people that also help me write the podcast. So it's kind of a good way of also <laughs> seeing how that sausage gets made sometimes. Um, you know, people will pop in and be like, you haven't updated the script in like a week. And I'm like, nah, I know. <laughs> I know. Basically you've, you've, you've painted a target on yourself by making yourself available to anyone at specific times. I really have. If really UFO, have. what do you, what do you, how would you feel like, what would happen if UFO, like Twitter discovered your streaming schedule? <laughs> Dude, honestly, like it's so funny. Um, cause to me, it'd be a talking I've had, I've actually had a lot. Cause when I, when I go to stream, I put it on, on Twitter. You know what I mean? And I've had UFO people pop in and be like, what do you think about like, you know, so-and-so or whatever. And then we just talk about it. Like that's the thing too. Like I've had even, even on like times where I've posted like really, you know, really like, really hot takes, right? <laughs> Even times where I've put out hot takes on UFO Twitter, I've had people reach out to me and be like, you know, Hey, I disagree with you, but let's talk about it. And then we'll talk about it and it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. Most people like UFO Twitter is a really bad example of UFO people. Agreed. Um, so I, like, I think it's, you know, it's the epitome of like talking at not talking with or talking to. Yes, it definitely is. So it can, but some people can be nice. Some people can be fine. Maybe so, your Twitch yeah. stream is the Trojan horse that's needed to like have <laughs> those conversations. Maybe, maybe we'll see. I don't know. Between me cussing at dark souls bosses and uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Uh, I mean, for better or for worse, like you're very transparent and honest in everything that you do. And I, I very much appreciate the way in which you, you approach these things because I think a lot of the, a lot of problems are rooted in ego and an unwillingness to, to sort of like discuss and talk through topics. Right. So, and that's something that I appreciate with, with doing a podcast with Angela too. He can admit when he's wrong. I can admit when I'm wrong. We've definitely done it before on air and to each other. And you yeah, know, like you're wrong card. about card magic. Uh, yeah. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> Not true. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I thank you guys for the kind words. And I'm, I remember when you guys started, so I'm excited to see, to finally come on the show here and, uh, and kind of hang out with you guys. Yeah, we were supposed to do this like two years ago. Yeah, such a long like, time yeah. ago. Yeah. Like that's the other thing too. If you're listening to this and I was supposed to be on your podcast, please just send me another email. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I reached out to Chris like, like, uh, like four or five days ago. And like, we just made this happen because I was like, I think it's time to just have this conversation in person. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, honestly, my, um, my, like my, scheduling skills those are like those are my weakest skills you know what i mean like when 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 like my parents decided to like you know roll me they they totally <laughs> rolled wrong on scheduling or like planning um you know like th th that didn't happen so yeah so where can people find you on the internet before i forget hey, are you so, on twitter by any chance <laughs> I, am, I am on twitter it's so weird so people can find me on twitter at a. So actually, I should probably figure out what my Twitter handle is. <laughs> How we say it? My uh, my Twitter handle is uh, at Mad Scientist Pod. Um, so you can find me there for sure. You can always send us an email at uh, the Mad Scientist Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, my Twitch stream is twitch tv slash Mad Scientist Cogs. Um, and you know, where, just generally, you can find your us. Secret disclosure Patreon account. <laughs> yeah, like, where's your grifter account? My secret uh, Patreon is, uh, yeah, we do, we do have a Patreon. If people want to come support the show or the stuff that we do, you absolutely can. Um, and then we also, you know, we're just on all your podcast apps, everything. Our logo is like me and Marie's heads exploding with like <laughs> aliens and stuff and whatever. So it's pretty easy to see. Um, and yeah, just come check us out. We're a lot of fun. So yeah. And if people are interested in Skyhub, they can find, I can never remember the Twitter handles. So I'm just not going to even 
It's so people can people can find out about Skyhub at skyhub.org. Okay, that's the perfect. best way to find out about Skyhub. Um, and we have a Discord um, that people can join. We have all the FAQs and stuff, the wiki, the code, all that stuff's up there. And then you take all this stuff and you hide it with the rest of the government evidence. Yes, and yeah, then, exactly. right. And then if you're a government agent and you need somebody to uh, ruin disclosure, street out. <laughs> I'm happy to help. For Chris sure. also accepts like um, like uh, burlap sacks of cash. In order to like, I do. like for misinformation, yeah, I do. a dollar sign on it though. Yeah. I do. It has to have a dollar sign. I um, I prefer to actually be paid in alien bucks, so <laughs> uh, or crypto, but not, but only the good cryptos, not <laughs> the scam crypto. Ones. Yeah, not Ethereum, <laughs> um, Bitcoin, <laughs> whatever the hell it is, Bitcoin. I had I had like a hundred dollar of Dogecoin at some point. And uh, just because I was like, that's funny. It's got the dog on it. And then uh, it went up to like 120 bucks of Dogecoin. I sold it. And then it was like $300 of Dogecoin. And I was like, I should have I should have held. <laughs> and then it's like, now it's like $10 of Dogecoin. And I'm like, smart. And I, I do love stocks. the idea that there are peaks and valleys to this because this isn't how traditional stocks work. And that's an entirely different conversation <laughs> to have like another time. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. No, it's, it's craziness. Well, Anyways. we've also been thinking about crypto because uh, last episode we talked about how um, I've fallen into this like weird rabbit hole of like Twitch streamers who um, play slots and they're all located in Malta. And like there's like a weird confluence of like maybe uh, Italian mafia money being laundered, but it's a lot of them play in like different cryptos. So like what's up with that too? Like it's it's super, <laughs> super weird. <laughs> who knew having a completely uncontrolled way of spending value would be a bad idea <laughs> who could have imagined um gentlemen it's been a pleasure seriously so much fun uh yeah chris you're welcome to come yell or like softly talk to us anytime you want uh doors always open but i guess we'll have to plan with you given your low planning skills yeah. i was gonna say yeah just let me know like the day before you want to record and i'll, I'll come on angela where can um, people find us on double density let's see if you remember this uh, uh, there's our website, okay. doubledensity.net. They can go there. See, Brian does this usually, and then lately he's been throwing it on me and then gets mad at me when I don't know what I'm doing. Well, okay, so what is your Twitter I handle? Have, I have the that. art history degree. He has the communications degree. Right. Who should be doing this? But who does all the research? The guy with the history degree or the other guy? You. <laughs> Well, there you go. You do everything. <laughs> uh, so, full disclosure, I had to get I had to get Angelo to write your intro bio, Chris, and he was like, "Oh, I'm busy today." That's well, the no, only I, thing I, I asked was him swamped. to do. It's we're in the middle of admissions. Oh, I, yeah. I literally admit people to higher education. I have to make sure I get them in. That's fine. You couldn't take like 15 minutes to actually do. But I did. I did a great intro, didn't you? I? Did do a great intro. I'll take it. So, thank you for that one bit of thing that you did. All right, doubledensity.net. Go there <laughs> you can for also find all us on your Twitter double over double underscore density. I'm ignoring you, Angelo. And uh, you can find me at uh, uh, Brian Hasty on Twitter. You can find Angelo at Angelo Furin. He loves pictures of the cover uh, of Communion. Send him your collages of Communion pictures. Rob hasn't sent me that in a while. He, he sends it to me. Every once in a while, he'll send me like a DM with that stupid it's true. picture. It's true. So you're due for your seasonal DM. Yeah. And with that, friends, uh, this is it for a true episode 164 of the Double Density Podcast. Tune in next time as we talk about other fun cryptids, uh, you know, uh, maybe a flying carpet. Who knows? Who knows? This is 2021. Who knows where this is going to go? Thanks, guys. Bye.